Welcome to It Is One Podcast. I'm Taylor. And I'm Bailey. Hey, Bailey, before we start today, I just want to ask you a question. Okay, what do you got for us today, Taylor? So my question for you is, how do you think stardom affects children? Like, later on in their life. And what I mean, specific example, like, I just, that was kind of an open-ended question, but, like, the specific example would be, I was watching a, um, a Hot Ones interview with Khloe Kardashian, you know, the oldest, I believe, out of the Kardashians. Okay. And in it, she was talking about how the younger Kardashian sisters had never known life outside of being filmed constantly. Because, basically, that was their whole entire childhood, you know? And they grew up and never experienced it. So she said one day that what they would do is when they were feeling like this and they wanted to go out and do something but didn't want to be recognized, um, everybody would wear disguises and they would get on like a bus or whatever. And nobody would know who they are unless, you know, they talked. Because as soon as they started talking, it was kind of obvious who they were, but they had really good disguises. And I, I guess, you know, my question to you would be like, how do you think that affected them? So I'm not super familiar with their like personal lives or anything like that, but I would imagine it has made it to where they don't have as much like uh, understanding of like the everyday person of what life is like being essentially invis- invisible and just being like a random NPC. But the way it might affect them later in life, um, we can look at other examples of child stars like Drew Barrymore, who, you know, became famous for Firestarter. And by, I think, age 13, she was, like, addicted to drugs and went to rehab for the first time. Oh, like... Um, Macaulay Culkin as Macaulay well. Macaulay Culkin, Corey, Corey Feldman, was yeah. that it? Because mm-hmm. I know he's talked openly about his battles with alcohol and drug addiction. Yeah, so I think that it just, like, adds a lot of stress to their psyche, and it wouldn't be surprising to me if in 10 years, you know, we start hearing about, like, I don't know, I don't even know how old they are, but it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, they also struggle with drug addiction and alcohol abuse and uh, issues like that, because it's not uh, in human's nature, and based on my understanding, to Mm -hmm. be seen all the time. And I think that it's probably very negative for the human psyche. So what if we reverse the question and say that the person had always been filmed from like the moment they were born up until the day that they either die or decide I'm exiting the show. I don't want to do this anymore. Um, I think that if they were aware that it was happening and that it wasn't normal, They would probably have, like, the same issues that, like, you know, real-world people who are child stars are. Mm -hmm. However, if they were unaware, I think that they would just live, like, a super average life unless they somehow became aware, which reminds me of our show today, actually. The Truman Show? Yeah. Oh, dude, I love The Truman Show. It's a super solid movie. It was directed by Peter Weir. Is that how you pronounce his last name? I think so. It's W-E-I-R, or I would say Weir, Weir, Wire, 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 I thought it was like Wir, but Weir, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. Then we're going to call him Peter W. Yeah, that works. And it was written by Andrew Nicole, which also, I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it. It's N-I-C-C-O-L. Nicole? Nicole. Nicole. Anyway, it, uh. 
the main person in this one, and this is one of uh, you know Jim Carrey, one yeah. of his first serious movies, and I think that he does an excellent job because this came before Eternal Sunshine. Yeah, it was about six years before because I think Eternal Sunshine was two thousand four, and this was ninety eight. Mm-hmm. So, what would you on a scale from like one to ten? One to ten? Yeah, one to ten. We're gonna spice things up a little bit. Yo, can we do one to five? I'm more comfortable with that. Oh, okay. no, no, we can do one to ten. I would give it a nine on a one to ten scale. And a 4.5, probably. A 4.5. So, to me, this movie is... It's great commentary on the human condition. Mm -hmm. And it's also great commentary on, like, the way social media affects uh, the lives of people today. Because some people who are really into social media basically star in their own, like, reality show. And I would argue that all of that was... In a in a sense predicted by this movie, so I would I would give this a four out of five. What about on a scale from one to ten? One to ten, uh, eight or nine. I would say like eight point five. We'll we'll say that like it's it's good, but I think like an eight. Um, you're right. It is. I mean, it's the story of Truman, who was an unwanted baby, and this dude decides that he is going to take this child and literally construct a whole entire tv show that runs 24 7 unedited uninterrupted watching truman and call it the truman show christoph is his name right yeah yeah and um kind of an interesting concept i would say more than anything it's a it's extremely interesting like the the thing that really got me with this one is so one thing that I want to talk about before anything is product placement in like the way that they do things in this movie was super interesting with the product placement because the first instance of it that you really see um, is when he's talking to the twins right which by the way they were uh, police officers were they yeah they were like police officers um, from what I read I thought they were uh, businessmen because... No, no, no. Like, in real life. Oh, oh I'm, so- I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no. In real life, they were, like, you know, twin police officers, and they were there, and the director was so inspired by them and really got to know them that he gave them a small role, which was the, the twin businessmen, who then shoved Truman up against the sign. Yeah. And then make sure that you have it in frame while they're talking to him. Then he there's there's one point where he tries to move and they kind of like push him back to make sure that the shot's perfect. Yeah, and this happens multiple times throughout the film. Although the best one is when his wife, uh, Meryl, does it for the, uh, what is it, like the coffee or the cocoa powder. Yeah. Starts talking about the... Uh, you know the where does it come from? The mountains of the of Nicaragua. Yeah, exactly. And he's like, "What does it have to do with anything? Yeah, like it, why are you doing this? It um it happens right after he discovers that something's not right, and he's trying to talk to Meryl, who is who is playing his wife about it, and she's like obviously super uncomfortable, and her defense mechanism is shooting to product placement. Yeah, which was super funny. Yeah, it was that like. Stuff like that is, like, really funny to me. Like, mm-hmm. it really sets the tone for the film because there's a there's a very clear split between, like, everyone around Truman and Truman. Right, because everybody around Truman 
knows what they're doing like oh this is just you know i mean even in the even in the opening monologue or whatever uh when she's being interviewed she says you know the truman show it's my life yeah but but it's a job you know so that that for me set the tone with it being for him it is literally his life it is all that he has ever known but for everybody else it's just a job which was kind of I mean, it's really messed up when you think about it. Oh, absolutely. This is a super dark movie. And it gets darker the more you think about it. So while I agree with you that, like, there's a difference between Truman and everyone else, because, I mean, I also said it, mm-hmm. but I'll say that, like, there are some uh, individuals who I feel like are also pretty deep into it. Like, while Meryl is, like, clearly an actress... Her yeah. and Marlon have been there for a long time. Like, Marlon states at one point that he's been his best friend since he was seven. Right. And I think it was uh, day, like, 10,909 yeah. uh, when the movie started. So, if he was seven, he's probably, like, 30-some now. Which is a long time to be doing this. Yeah, so that means that Marlon, for instance, I don't know about everyone else, but Marlon's been acting on the show for 23 years, so... I wouldn't be surprised if he actually does care about Truman. So one thing that I found super interesting about their relationship is you can tell that he does care about him when they're sitting, I think it's on the docker or wherever, and Kristoff is is feeding him the lines. And you can tell when he is told to say, um, everybody else has to be in on it, which means that I would have to be in on it, but I would never lie to you, Truman. You can you can sense the hesitation in his voice and the look on his face, even that like slight pause of, I don't want to say this, but I know that I have to because I'm an actor. Exactly. And I think that that shows that there is a part of him that does care. I mean, it's just like, I don't know, um, it's not raw emotion because he's clearly like restraining himself but right. in his eyes because he's a really good actor he like displays the emotion that he's clearly restraining himself from expressing in his voice and his eyes yeah and that that's why i really like that scene because it tells you everything that you need to know about their relationship without saying anything exactly so we've uh, we've talked about the show a little bit and given some general overviews, but for anyone who hasn't seen this, uh, do you want to give like a quick, just basic rundown of the plot? No, oh yeah, like spo- we're gonna there are gonna be spoilers. This is a twenty four year old movie. Yeah, I mean if you're if you're listening to this, it's obvious that you know you've seen it, um, and you want to know our opinions and takes on it. But uh, for for anybody that hasn't, just wants to know what the movie's about. Um, we, we kind of explained it with, you know, Truman's an unwanted baby who is adopted by a corporation, by a corporation, um, which the head of that is Kristoff, who is a documentarian, I think is what it is. Uh, I don't know if it's ever stated, but basically he, um, he's making a living documentary, um, is what it is, but he has constructed a man-made city that is in a dome that is so big it can be seen from outer space and inside of this dome is the town of what is it sea haven sea haven 
and Seahaven is the town that he has constructed for Truman, where Truman does not know what is going on, but there are over 5,000 cameras that they have placed that are recording his every moment, like every moment, everything, from the time he gets up, goes to bed, everything. And people tune in, like all the time, it's a broadcast that is never interrupted, goes 24-7, so you can just tune in and see what Truman's doing. Um, Everybody else knows that it's not real, but they have to convince Truman that it is. So he is basically living his life as a lie and doesn't know it until one day he does. And that's basically the whole point of the movie is Truman finding out that his whole entire life is a lie. Yeah, and his uh, basically him escaping this TV show, this reality that has been created for him. Mm-hmm. Um, which, when I was watching it, I think this is like the third time. Oh, I've seen it a lot more than that. Um, like, I, I like it, you know, but when I like something, I don't want to watch it too many times. But I, um, this was the first time that I really thought this was about a midlife crisis. Like, this is the representation of a midlife crisis. Okay, you want to uh, elaborate on those thoughts for me? Okay, so, and it was, I I looked it up. It was originally supposed to be a, um, like, coming-of-age thing. He was supposed to be rebellious and just out of high school, but it becomes a midlife crisis because of Jim Carrey's age. But it it is a man who has lived his whole entire life in the same place, being too afraid to really do anything to you know go out like he's on an island but he can't go anywhere all of his friends have done it and he wants to do it you know he wants to go to fiji which later is revealed why he wants to go to fiji um, but he wants to travel he's always wanted to travel he's always wanted to explore even at a young age has been told by everybody around him that he can't do it and one day he wakes up and goes why not and just decides to do it late in his life. But he wants to do the things that he wants to do, not what everybody else does. So I, I think that it's a representation of a midlife crisis for that. You know, that waking up halfway through life and going, I have nothing to show for in my life. What has been the point of me living? So that's fair, but I uh, I disagree with you said late in life. Well, he's like 30. Okay. <laughs> He is, so that's why. So it's a midlife crisis. But the way that I'm looking at it is, you know, later in his life. So that was that was poor phrasing on my no, end. I'm, so I apologize. I was just being a dick. I thought it was funny, but no, I, um, I, I see it as a midlife crisis more than anything because I was watching it and you know his friend, um, Marlon, even says because he asked him, he's like, "What was it like when you were traveling around uh, for the what was he like a fisher or something, trying to." Like a fishing boat or something. Are you talking about the manufactured psychological damage that Truman received by Kristoff in order to make him afraid to leave? Yeah, which was genius, first of all. So um, how that happened was his dad was a fisherman, mm-hmm. and he went out with Truman, and then uh, I guess he wanted to create the fear in Truman, so Kristoff quote-unquote killed his dad which is the actor that was playing his father in a boating accident while Truman was on the boat. And obviously it was, you know, staged. Um, The dad was fine. And that's actually what launches uh, Truman into thinking that that there's something wrong 
because he sees his father as a homeless man on the street. Um, like 22 years, I think, after he allegedly died. So I would argue that it starts when the light falls. When he's walking outside for the first time and the light falls down. And according to the radio, there was a, what was it? Um, a, plane. a plane. Yeah. Yeah, that that's flying overhead and then accidentally dropped some items and that was one of them. Um, but he even looks at it and sees the name on it and gets kind of kind of iffy. Um, if you want to go back even further than that, when he was in high school with the love of his life, Sylvia, um, which I can't remember what her name was. It was Lauren. Lauren, yeah. It was her She was Lauren, but her real name was Sylvia. Yeah, the act the actress in the show inside the movie. Yeah. So the yeah. That's gonna get real confusing. Um, but she even breaks character and says you know they're they're lying to you none of this is real i'm the only one so i would say that that kind of started it but then he forgot about it but he didn't because he asks where you're going and the dad mouths off we're moving to fiji and that's his whole reason to go to fiji but i mean so i think that that's his reasoning for trying to escape but the dad like says oh she's schizophrenic oh she does this to everybody this is what she does with all of her boyfriends you're not so, the first. Yeah. So I think that Truman, like, actually, like, loves her, obviously. And I think she obviously loves him based on the scenes of the real world inside the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, where you see Sylvia sitting in front cheering for Truman as he's clearly discovering the fabrication of his reality. That everything has been a lie. Yeah. And she's cheering. She's excited about it because he's going to break free. But I would argue that during that period of time he didn't uh understand exactly what she meant because he hadn't personally seen enough of the he hadn't seen anything that was like consistent with oh this isn't this can't be real this isn't how reality works yet and it was just a one-off thing that happened one time and then you know when we start the movie it's probably like what would you say like 10 years later eight years later because i think he was in college during that was when, it was it college? Because to me, it looked like high school. So I think that it was college instead of high school. And the reason I say that is because during it, um, during one of the scenes at the Truman Show fan bar. Yes. Do you know what I'm talking about? One yeah, of the outside the, world scenes? Mm-hmm. Where they're, the whole thing is dedicated to him. Yeah, and they're the two uh, bartenders that are talking. And one of the bartenders says, I can't believe he married Meryl on the rebound. And in it, it says that he married Meryl after college. Oh. So I think that that was during college. So assuming most people graduate college at between 22 and 24, Mm -hmm. and assuming that he's about 30 now, which I guess we could do the math and do 3,000 or 10,909 days and see how old exactly. But regardless, um, so it's been like eight years and he's obviously still thinking about uh, Lauren or Sylvia, but there's no indication that during that time skip, he was suspicious of his reality. Okay. Well, let me, let me throw one at you real quick. Okay. Okay. What if it was high school? He married her on the rebound because like you said, Marlon was there since he was seven. Yeah. So what, I mean, and the whole thing was fabricated. So why, why wouldn't they go to high school together? 
and then go to college together as well. Oh, I mean, I'm sure they did. But like I said, I think there's a quote in the movie that says that he married Meryl after college, which is why I would imagine that during that period of time, it was probably college, mm-hmm. which it very well could be high school. There's, I have no like actual evidence. It's just context clues from it that makes me think that, but I don't think that strongly enough to say for sure that that's the correct thought, you know? Okay, yeah, no, I get what you're saying. I'm saying that's what I think, and that's why I think it, but I'm not saying this is what it is because I can't definitively say. Right. No, I I, I get it. I would, I don't know. Their whole relationship was weird, um, especially considering that you can tell that he was really in love with Sylvia. I mean, he even took random magazine magazine yeah thank you i blanked on that one uh but magazine pictures and like reconstructed her face the best way that he knew and he puts it behind a picture of him and um meryl yeah which i thought was funny well so him he and meryl's relationship isn't good um and it's obvious that truman even sees that because during the period of time where she's like oh let's have a baby he's like why would you want to have a baby with me you don't even like me Right. I mean, he he knew from the start, I think, that none of this was real between them. I mean, see, I don't know. I feel like there's no evidence to back this thought up, but I'm pretty sure he, that he thought something was real between them or he wouldn't have decided to marry her because while everything in his life is manufactured, mm-hmm. it, he still has the illusion of free will. Like, he still thinks that what he's doing is his decision. So, I feel like if he legitimately didn't want to marry Meryl, he wouldn't have married her. Well, no, I don't think that he, I don't think he wanted to marry her at all because it's obvious that Sylvia is who he loves and wants to spend time with because when you talk about the first time, well, I don't even know if it was like the first time or whatever, but when she was doing her cheerleader thing and then you know falls down in order to gain his attention because he's staring at this other girl which was sylvia yeah so i don't i don't think he ever wanted to be with her i think that he just felt like he had to and settled you know like most men that go through a midlife crisis settle i mean i'm pretty sure he was married to meryl before his midlife like, like I think that, like I said, I'm pretty sure in the dialogue in the movie it said he married Meryl right after college, mm-hmm. which is, you know, before one would have a midlife crisis probably. I mean, yeah, but, okay, I can I can see what you're saying. I'm Like I said, I'm not saying there's no coercion or anything. I'm just saying I don't think there's enough information to say that it wasn't like a cognizant choice. Because even if he was in love with Sylvia, I'm sure that there are plenty of people and plenty of listeners who are in love with someone they aren't dating while they're dating someone else simply because it's easier or something happened in their relationship with the person they actually want to be with. Mm -hmm. And like you said, they settled with other people. So the, I don't know, there was a scene that did not make it into the movie, but the... 
the meeting between him and Meryl where he's like threatening her with a kitchen knife or whatever. She threatens him. Oh, yeah. She threatens him. Um, excuse me. That scene was supposed to be like way darker than it was because he was supposed to basically waterboard her in the sink and go crazy on her. Like he was going to just, you know, beat the shit out of her basically and like waterboard her. That was how that scene was supposed to play out, but it was, you know, deemed too dark. So they had it where he takes it and then threatens, you know, holds it up to her neck and then that's when Marlon comes in. Like that was as dark as that scene got. So I'm glad, I guess, that they didn't do that because I think it would have tainted uh, Truman's character. No, it it would have. I 100% agree with that. However, I uh, don't agree with Meryl's assertion or like the the tone I heard from you just now because I don't think that Truman threatened Meryl. Even if he was holding the knife, he was just defending himself because she came at him with it first. At no point was he violent towards her. At no point was he, you know, like going, in my opinion, based on my perception, watching it. At no point did he act like he had intentions to hurt her in any way. And her acting, you know, the way she was, was, in my opinion, her being overdramatic about him asking questions she knew she wasn't allowed to answer. Like, I think that she started freaking out, and I don't want to use the word hysterical because... You know, you're not supposed to use that word when describing ladies. But I think she was acting hysterical for no reason. for Because he was asking questions she knew he, she couldn't answer. Right. With, okay. In my opinion. And that's... I mean, yeah. Because he doesn't do anything. No. And he just holds it up to her and then says something. And that's when well, Marlon walks in. Like, if he wanted to hurt her, he could have very easily. Well, he wasn't even like he he was standing up talking to her and then she picked it up and started holding it at him. And he was like, what are you going to uh, is it slice, dice and chop me? Yeah, because that's what she was talking about with the product, the placement. product placement. Yeah. So um, one other thing I want to talk about from this movie um, before we get like too deep into uh, anything else. OK. Is the or did you have anything else for that specific like scene? No. Okay, I'm sorry. I wasn't trying to, like, cut you off. No, you didn't cut me off. You're good, dude. But um, did you notice how everyone is, like, super condescending to Truman the whole time? Like... Yeah, but I feel like they have to be. No, they do. But that's something that... That's something I didn't like about the movie. Um, because Truman doesn't seem stupid. You know what I mean? Am I mean, I? I don't... Yeah, I don't think that Truman's stupid, but go ahead. So... In my opinion, because I feel like every interaction that happened to Truman for the first half of the movie until he was actively trying to escape, everyone who talked to him had a condescending tone pretty much the whole time, especially Meryl, or excluding uh, Marlon and excluding some of the like extras, like the dude who works at the magazine stand that he stops by every day. Yeah. But most other interactions, like his interactions with his boss at work, his interactions with Meryl, his interactions with his mom, his interactions with, you know, his neighbor once he starts acting a little bit weird. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like they've all got a very condescending tone. Which they, they do. And because of how 
because I view Truman as moderately intelligent. He was able to figure it out and then able to escape. Right. So the condescending tone they use seems a little uh, weird to me because I feel like Truman would have been able to register that they were being condescending. You know what I mean? Which I don't know if I'm looking into it too deeply or I'm like, you know, misinterpreting something. But it's something that on this watch through, I caught it a lot more and it didn't seem like it fit to me. Like that's part of what negatively impacted my score. I think you're looking into it because how would he know? I mean, everything has been manufactured for him because Kristoff even says, you know, that it, once you go out that door, then the world that I have created for you is infinitely better than the things that you will experience out there. But how would he know what condescending is if it was never taught to him? Because they do kind of manufacture what he learns and how he learns, right? I mean, that's fair because even in like when he goes into the real or not realty, what's the uh, travel agent? Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the travel agency. Like it's manufactured his learning based on like the signs for planes going down and getting struck by lightning that are posted up in there. You will die if you enter an airplane. So I guess that's fair that they probably manufactured his learning and made it to where he doesn't have all of the like specific knowledge about like stuff like that, I guess. That yeah, would make sense. Well, cause I don't think that he would be, that he would know what condescending is or he would, he would have been able to figure out a lot sooner what was going on because everybody is extremely fake with him and it's the same repetitive thing every day but he didn't start paying attention to it until the um, light fell and then you know next thing that he knows he's people are saying weird things and then he's sitting there in the car and he says you know uh, there's gonna be a woman on a bike a red bike I think is what he says a man holding flowers, and then a Volkswagen with a um, dented, what is it, Denton in the? I think it's a bumper, or bumper. dented fender or something. Yeah, and then it happens, and he's like, "They've been doing that all day. They make a circle, and then they come back around." Yeah, but it and, and even if you look at the way his mornings start, his morning starts the exact same way every single day. I mean, doesn't your morning start the exact same way every day? No. I thought you said all of your mornings start with you going, I have to get out of bed. No, I don't do that. We talked about this like two episodes ago. Yeah, but my mental state has changed. Not the point. We're getting <laughs> off track. But no, with uh, with stuff like that, you know, you, you have this morning thing that, you know, he walks outside every day and the family is in the exact same position in the exact same location and says the exact same things every single day. Good morning. And in case I don't see a good afternoon, good evening, good night. Yeah, exactly. There's that. And then when you look at it, the neighbor with the dog. Yeah. Pluto. Pluto. Same thing every day. Yeah. I would argue that he had been so accustomed to it and had learned a certain way and been conditioned um, that this was all normal that he wouldn't have been able to notice the condescending tone because if he had would have ruined the whole movie I mean okay I might be like reaching for it there but I mean yeah I could have been reaching for the condescending tone you know I mean that that's fair what else did you want to talk about with it because like it's a it's a super deep movie 
So um, you you ready to go down a, a layer of deepness? Yes. So one of the quotes from the movie that I really liked is, we accept the reality of the world in which we are presented. It's as simple as that. And it's mm-hmm. a line that Kristoff made. So do you think that that's like, do you think that the actors inside the Truman Show are accepting that as like, a variation of reality no no i don't think that they're accepting it as a reality they might be accepting it as a reality for him but not their own reality because they know that it's not that it's like a it's it's a job so so i agree with you mm-hmm. however i'm going to argue against you and here's why or here's the here's here are the examples i'm going to give so did you remember the bus driver when truman tries to leave town who intentionally like grinds the gears of the bus to make the bus break down so that he can't leave do you remember that scene yes okay so do you remember the scene when truman was trying to escape at the end of the movie and Kristoff was going to send uh the boat yeah and he does the same thing. Yeah, same same individual, same actor. And does basically the same thing. What if that's just his... I mean, he does say they're actors. Right. Okay. What if he doesn't know how to actually drive the bus? I mean, well, no, the bus moves. Like, when Truman doesn't get on the bus, the bus leaves. You see that in multiple scenes, the bus driving away. But who is driving the bus? I mean, I would wager it's him because what I think that the bus is is it's just like... It's a, it's a thing on a loop, and the mm-hmm. only reason it didn't do its loop... Was because he was on it. Exactly. So instead of it doing its loop, the bus driver uh, manufactured the bus breaking down. Okay. So that, you know, in regards to my question about the rea- uh, actors living in that reality or uh, associating with that reality... So that is him making a conscious decision to not let Truman leave, right? However, when that guy does it for the boat, you could take it at face value, like with what Kristoff was told that, oh, they're actors, they don't actually know how to drive the boat. Or the way I interpreted it is that that person is accepting that the reality of the show needs to end because Truman's become aware. And yes. he doesn't want to stop Truman from escaping. So he's like, oh, I'm not going to pilot the boat to go get him because he's accepted that this reality that he's been a part of is ending. And another example that I would give is with Marlon's character because there are various points throughout the plot or throughout the movie, um, which we've already talked about the scene that I'm going to mention specifically when he's talking to Truman and he's like, if, you know, everyone's in on it that means i'm in on it too and i wouldn't lie to you right i would say because of the pain you can see in the character's eyes when he's being made to say that he's accepted himself as a part of that reality even if he knows he's an actor in it he's accepted that 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 truman actually is special to him truman actually like is important and he's accepted that he is a permanent part in this reality to help support truman you know what I'm saying? I know it's like a little convoluted, but that's like my thoughts on it, that some of the actors in there are accepting it as a part of reality and then 
willingly letting it go by, you know, not driving the boat to get him and not trying harder to stop Truman. Yeah, but I don't, I don't think that that makes it their reality because their reality is different. And they, I mean, maybe you're right when they accept that they're a part of his reality, but because I thought we were talking about their realities. Uh, I mean, yes, their reality as a character inside the show, inside the show, you know what I'm saying? Or inside the show, inside the movie. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay, so, like, method actors who get, like, super into it, like, this is off the Truman Show, but, like, Christian Bell and The Machinist when he lost all of that weight, or mm-hmm. Joaquin Phoenix when he did Joker and he lost all that weight. Right. They basically became their characters. I would argue that because this is a 24-hour live show, that these guys have, even if it's not entirely, have partially become their characters. Does that make sense? Do you understand what I'm trying to like articulate? Yes, I think so. That they've become that this is their personality now is because they've been doing it for so long. Well, I mean, not even necessarily their personality. It's just the way they perceive reality has been altered because they've lived in this manufactured place for so long as side components or as, you know, support for the reality in order to trick Truman? No. You don't see it? You don't think so? No, I think that they see it as a job. See, I don't know. I feel like some of them don't because of, like, the way they act and, like, the words they say and the decisions they make. I mean, you can argue that, like, his dad... Yeah, I would say his dad's one of them, and obviously... uh, Sylvia? Yeah. But that's different because they don't want to be a part of that. They want to show him they the real, like, what reality really is. That's the difference, though. I mean, that's fair. They want to destroy it instead of empower it. Which I don't even think the dad wanted to because he comes back on. Like, he, he gets himself written back into the show. Right. But he got himself written back into the show because he snuck on set. Right, but the example that I'll use is when they look for him, how they join, you know, hand in hand, and he goes, Truman, it's your dad. Right, but... The way that he says it, if he was... If he was actively trying to break Truman out, why did he do it that way? I mean, you don't know what he was plotting. He could have, you know, not actually been looking for Truman... And alternatively, if he found Truman, he could have been like, oh, hey, I'm going to try to aid your escape by, you know, doing something else, like pointing them in the wrong direction or, you know, trying to block you from them. Yeah, but he gets together with a whole group of people is what I'm saying, though. Right. You know? But his motives aren't explicitly shown. And because because of his motives for sneaking onto the show in the first place. Mm-hmm. It could have just been, oh, I miss Truman. I want to be back on the show. Or it could have been like, oh, I want to see him and hopefully be able to talk to him to convince him to escape or to explain to him that he's trapped and he should try to escape. Or it could be that he hasn't seen success and the reason that he's dressed like a homeless person is because he really is a homeless person because this was the only thing that he had going for him. 
I mean, that's super possible. So now he wants to be back on the show because the show has obviously gained a lot more popularity in the amount of time that he's been gone. So he wants to reap the benefits of that, and he's just, you know, pissed off or something. I mean, there's like, you know, it doesn't really go into it. You, It, it could be that you are correct in this instance, since I'm just trying to play devil advocate here. And it could be you're correct. Well, no, it, it could be correct because he wants to... Like he he sees Truman and then has that emotional connection to him, you know, when he meets him for the first time, and that's why he came back because he just wanted to see him. He wasn't like the other people that appear on the show just because they are on the show, right? That's why. So it, it could be that it could be that this is his reality and he sees him like a son because of that, you know. Um, I don't know. There's there's a lot of things with his character that they never really go into detail with. Like he's a he's a big part of the movie and really the major catalyst for why the film happens is because he shows up. Right. But they don't do anything with him. Right. I mean, they don't Yeah, I I agree with you. The, the main reason for him is uh in Truman's childhood was to help manufacture Truman's, you know, aversion to water and flying and his fear around stuff like that right like that was his whole role yeah and then now that your dad has died because of you because he says you know the storm i don't like to look at the storm and the truman goes oh come on dad we can go a little bit further like now it's because of him right so i don't know uh the dad character was one of those that i was a little iffy on just because there was so much potential with it like mom didn't have any potential um there was no point yeah. And really having her, but she got more screen time than Dad did. Yeah. So plot wise, I don't know on that one. Um, but what I'm one thing that I do want to talk about is how egotistical Kristoff is with the conversation that he has with Sylvia, because you can you know he immediately knows who she is, and it's obvious when when she calls in that her whole her whole point is to get Truman out of there because she actually cares about him. And then his whole thing of, you know, he can leave anytime he wants to. If if he really wanted to leave, we wouldn't be able to stop him. I mean. I mean, it's so the reason that I'm saying that it's egotistical is because when it happens, you know, when he's actually trying to leave, he tries everything in his power to stop him. And then just accepts it when he knows there's no point. Yeah, when he knows that his option is to accept or kill him, he's like, okay, I accept it. But he doesn't kill him because someone says, we can't kill him. There are millions of people watching. See, I don't think he would have killed him anyway because I genuinely... So, I'm going to use this as an analogy. Okay. Or I don't know if analogy is the right word. So, Kristoff is basically God of Sea Haven. He is God. In Truman's world, Kristoff is God. Like, God does not exist. There is only Kristoff. Right. So, from that perspective, I would say that that's how Kristoff sees himself as well. He sees himself as Truman's protector. Right. So, you know, causing the trauma that gave him the aversion to water by, quote-unquote, killing his dad was him protecting him so that he could keep him safe on the island. All of the, like, you know, even the attempted quote-unquote drowning at the end when he's hitting him with the storms and stuff Mm -hmm. was him trying to maintain his control because, like you said, he's super egotistical. He sees himself as God in control. Right. But I think that he's also, 
you know, like most uh, most religions archetype of God being loving and caring, I think he also loves and cares for Truman because Truman did live like a pretty good life because Christoph could have put him in, you know, instead of Sea Haven, a super safe city, he could have put him in like a ghetto somewhere or he could have made Sea Haven like a ghetto or crime riddled or, you know, seemingly dangerous instead of making it like a picturesque nice place right and i think that realistically something like that would have worked just as well because of the popularity of shows like shameless and stuff but that wasn't around at the time right but there were other shows like uh i guess sopranos was also a year later yes my my point is but even the sopranos weren't ghetto no but it was dark what i'm saying is he chose to put him in like almost like a utopia yeah like he he put him in Kristoff's idea of a utopia where he could have put him in Kristoff's idea of a dystopia like this is more brave new world than it is 1984 i mean yeah but so my argument to you is that he doesn't care because when he is trying to leave he talks to him answers his questions and then blatantly tells him that nothing outside of there is going to be better than what you have in here you need to stay right but if he truly cared about him then he would go you know show's over that's wrap get out of here kid so see i disagree with that too because even your even even overprotective parents who don't let their children do anything or mm-hmm. something it's not because they don't love them and aren't trying to protect them. It's because they're scared of them getting out. So his reasoning for not wanting Truman to leave could be that, you know, he doesn't like Truman and he's an asshole and he just wants to make money by keeping him in this prison. Right. So that he can receive viewers and, you know, do product placement forever and be, you know, extremely wealthy. Set for life. But because of the amount of money that he put back into the show, because at the beginning they talk about how they started with one camera and now they have over 5,000 and it's grown so big. And I feel like if Christoph didn't care about Truman, he would have not made it, like I said, such a pleasant place. He would have made it more like hard and more like gritty because that's even, that's the kind of movies that people like, like, how many movies are there where it's just like someone being happy and stoked all the time? Most of them have like bad things happen. And the plot of the show within the movie, The Truman Show, was just a slice of life, mostly positive, because they didn't generally let bad stuff happen. Right. With there the were ex- bad things that did happen, but they, you're right, they didn't genuinely let them happen. Yeah, and the bad things that did happen were almost always intentional lessons to condition Truman to believing or behaving a certain way. So, you know, it could be a cruel, mean, you know, uncaring God, or it could be a loving, caring God that, you know, is under the impression that the best place for Truman to be is in the safety of Sea Haven. And that's why he, you know, almost goes to the lengths of killing him to convince him that he should stay. And when he realizes that he would have to kill him, he stops and he's like, I would rather him be free than dead. That's just my perspective. Okay, I can I can see that. I mean, okay, we'll agree to disagree on that one. Like, I, I can see it from your perspective, but I think he's basically a test monkey for him. 
which is why I don't think that he cares because he, you know, he was an unwanted baby. So I don't, I don't know. I think Kristoff grew a connection to him, but not one of caring. More one of you're the best thing that has ever happened to me because people love you. If that makes sense. It does. And like, I don't want to lose that. You know, I don't want to lose the best part of me, which would be you because you're moving on in the world. So I don't know. I think even over, like you're right, overprotective parents do the same thing. But I think that the difference is they genuinely care. And his was more of, I want this to go on as long as humanly possible. I don't, because at any, so if he really didn't want it to go on as human long as humanly possible, he would have let Sylvia do her thing. And he would have, like, if he really wanted Truman to be happy, he would have let Sylvia do her thing and then them end up living together. Because it was very obvious that Sylvia is who he wanted, right? So I think that if he genuinely did care about him, then he would do stuff like that. I think that he made the utopia or Sea Haven as a utopia because that's what people wanted to see. You know, it was the way to interact but not have these dangerous and volatile situations because the way it's set up is like a 1950s sitcom with the style of everything but there's like computers or or whatnot but the vibe that i got from it was a 1950s 1960s sitcom like pleasantville like yeah and that's that's what he was going for so it had to be a utopia it wasn't that he cared and wanted him to be in that this was what he wanted from the start was to have a utopia because 1950s there wasn't anything wrong in those shows i mean no i definitely i definitely see your perspective and you know i think it's just as valid as my perspective no i think i think both are are very valid yeah but i don't i don't know see i feel like it could be both though like i feel like he could both be you know the overprotective parent who doesn't want him to leave because he wants him to be safe but also not wanting him to leave because you know he's getting all the viewers that's like parents who give their children buttloads of chores and stuff you know free labor <laughs> okay <laughs> okay i guess that was a weak analogy that was a i don't <laughs> understand okay Anyway, your parents never made you like paint the house for no uh nothing. Just just hey, paint the house. Not that I remember. Really? I had to paint the fucking house. God damn. I mean, I painted like the porch and shit, but I never remember painting the house. Imagine. I mean, <laughs> um is there any other specific thing in the movie you wanted to talk about? Now, was there any concepts that you wanted to like talk about? Um, kind of. All right, what would you want to talk about? So the last thing that I kind of want to talk about, and you... Dropped it. You kind of brought it up when um you were talking about your view of, like, Kristoff. Mm-hmm. So I think that him wanting to keep Truman in the dark is because he wants Truman to accept the reality presented to him. Because if he thinks that, right. you know, Sea Haven is all there is, mm-hmm. then he's not going to know to want to leave. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Like, obviously, he taught was taught basic geography, so he knows about the outside world, or else right. he wouldn't know what Fiji was. Mm-hmm. But I think that part of the reason he wanted to get rid of Sylvia is because he didn't want Truman's idea of reality to be expanded. Okay. 
Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. He wanted to construct his own, like, keep him in a box, basically. So, my, this question kind of strays from the movie. Okay. Do you think that there are real-life institutions that do similar things? Because I would argue that schools, um, some parents, some groups of people in general, like be it, you know, religious groups or social groups or homeowners associations or what have you, all attempt to do this on a different scale. Instead of it being an individual that they're trying to fool, like Truman, it's entire societies that they try to fool. For example. Well, hold on. I'm just going to cut you off. Yes, literally everything. I think that everything in this world, like I don't think you need to give any more examples. Um, Every aspect of everything in life is a giant way to control you because the way that I've always viewed things is to question authority because just because someone is in a power of authority doesn't necessarily mean they should be and doesn't necessarily mean what they're saying is correct, right? So you look at religious institutes that try to figure out, you know, we're all in an ocean of chaos, right? And we can't figure out where to go. So then we turn to religious leaders to be like, oh, well, you need to go this way, you know, believe in God. And then you turn to uh, banks to be like, protect my money because my money is safe with you, right? That's how it works. What is the value of money set by the banks? Then you turn to your fucking grocery stores who tell you how much you have to pay for basic human necessities like food because they set the price on things. You, but you go to them and you want guidance on how much something should be. So then you go to all these other grocery stores and trying to find the best price because one grocery store has it significantly or even slightly lower and that's thrown your whole thing off. So now your whole perception of how much a basic item of food should cost right but you have these you know leaders and basically anything like that where someone is trying to tell you how to navigate the ocean of chaos is the Truman show doing that that's what it is so yeah like the whole world everywhere you look you know institutes that are telling you you have to have a cell phone to communicate with people now I mean you know how many streaming services I have because they only show certain things on certain streaming services yeah yeah, like they're, you know, my whole view on everything changes because I can only watch South Park on HBO Max, but, you know, I want to watch whatever on Hulu, but that's not on there, so now I got to watch it on Netflix, and you want everything. Like, the whole world has conditioned us to do whatever it wants, and if you want to say that there's like the Illuminati or whatever that's pulling the strings, sure, go ahead, make that your definition, but anybody in a position of authority and power that gets you to do something... Boom. There you go. Question answered. Perfect. You're welcome. Is that what you were looking for? Uh, not not specifically because you didn't hit all of the points I would have hit. Well, what, what were the points that were missing? Well, I mean, it's not even like specific points. It's just like specific examples because what I was going to say is like homeowners associations, you know, your lawn has to be this high. You can only cut it at 0.25 inches. Make sure that you only paint it blue. Make sure that your trash bins. So my dad was talking about one um, that he was in. And your trash bins could only set outside for a certain amount of time before they had to be pulled to the back of your house where nobody could see them. Yeah. There was like a specific window. That's That's a manufactured reality. Yeah. They're trying to manufacture the reality of everyone in their neighborhood is upstanding and... You know, they're all clean and 
they're all not even just clean, but they're this specific version of clean. And okay. I, well, I just think it's super silly. No, no, it is. But to to get back on that point of like manufacturing reality, um, you know, what is the reality of beauty standards? Yeah, it's all manufactured. Like we're told that. Uh, actually, never mind. Well, no, because like you know, I can't say what I was gonna say. Okay, but I mean, like you know, beauty standards and the double standards and shit of how you know a woman has to be perfect, but a man can be fat and ugly, and that's like society's like cool. You know, you're good. But if you're not a you know ten out of ten shaving your legs as a woman, and your armpits have to be shaved, and make sure that you have no body hair at all because that's the cool thing. But then when you do have body hair, it's like oh, you shouldn't do that. You're going against nature or whatever they want to say so you are correct in saying that no body hair at all is the cool thing because body hair is the uh warm thing because you know it's i hate you (laughs) but no like homeowners associations banks um credit card companies even schools governments yeah school military yeah basically anything anybody in a position of power like that that can guide you because the 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 things that I was taught in school don't necessarily apply to me as much as the things that I've like learned on YouTube, which would even be somebody conditioning me and showing me a separate reality. Well, so uh, this is a really personal argument, mm-hmm. but I would argue that the reality that was painted for me by you know my family when I was growing up isn't consistent with the way reality actually is. Yeah, no, I would I would agree. And I've talked to a lot of people, you're one of them, but like even other friends I have when they discuss the reality that was painted for them in their childhood versus the reality of their actual life, they're like it's super inconsistent. It parents are cruel for bringing, you know, unsuspecting children into this world and then trying to shape their reality into something that it can't be. Because yeah. it's constantly shifting. Yeah, but that's that's the beauty of it, though, is you have to think for yourself and question authority. Like, that is, in my mind, what makes people people. Like, the human existence or whatever is learning how to question that. But we're getting so fucking far off this movie. Well, no, this is about the movie. Like, because this was Truman's perspective of questioning Kristoff. Which he should have. He did. And, and he does, and then he leaves. Yeah, because he goes, you know, this is it. Whatever, whatever is happening, whatever is out there, whatever you deem to be worse, I don't care. I want to know about it. He's questioning everything because that's all he's been doing. So, yeah, he would rather be free and in danger than quote unquote safe but caged. Right, ignorant and safe. Because ignorance is bliss in this case. And that's what Kristoff wanted to do was to keep him, you know, weary of everything and ignorant of the outside world. Okay, so I know I said that was my last thing. Yeah. However, I have one more thing. Okay. So the movie ends with uh, Truman getting to the edge of the dome and walking up the stairs and exiting, right? Yes. So I distinctly remember there being an ending where after he exits, he sees Sylvia, and Sylvia is like there waiting for him. I looked online and I didn't find it, so I don't know if this is you know a, an example of the Mandela effect. But has, does anyone else remember seeing that as an ending? 
I, or am I just like really, really dumb? Because I haven't seen the Truman Show probably since middle school or high school. So it's been almost 10 years since I've seen it, even though I watched it a bunch in high school. But I distinctly remember the ending being differently. But it could also be, you know, me just completely misremembering because I couldn't find anything online indicating that that was the actual ending. So I'm asking you, Taylor, and you, the audience, uh, if you have any memory of that memory, you should reach out to us on Facebook, specifically me, because I really, I really was super confused when I finished it, and it wasn't the ending I remember it being. I don't ever remember that being an ending. It so. was just like an extra two minutes. And the way I remember it is he walks through the door because it shows Sylvia leaving her couch and running. Yes. The way I remember it ending is it shows her leaving, running, and then when he walks out the door, she is like already on her way there and they meet up as they exit the building together. Which could be a misrememory. Misrememory could be a dream I had, could be my own hope of how it actually happened i think that's what it is because i can i can play out the whole thing and be like oh okay but that's not what it is no but that's what you want that's what yeah you think is going to happen so your brain just filled in the missing pieces so see i don't know if that's what happened or if it's the mandela effect i'm and you know mandela effect's not real all right bro we're not going to talk about it here because this is the place for it but all right, bro. No, misremember. It's called misremembrance and just mass hysteria. Not real. Anyway, is there anything else that you want to talk about? No, I'm. I think I'm good on this. All right, we'll go into the Taylor talk. Are you ready for this one? Uh, We're gonna do something a little bit differently. Uh, I'm stressed. Don't be stressed. We're gonna play a game. Uh, okay. So, are you jigsaw? Yes. Okay. All right. So this is. So this game is gonna be called Made for Television. Okay. I'm going to give you the original line, and then I'm going to give you the TV edited line of whatever it was, along with two options. So, Hit me with it. Hit right. me, baby, one more time. I got seven of them out okay. of ten. All right. If you get all seven, I'll give you a prize. If not, everyone that you get correct, you win. Everyone that you don't get correct, then I, I get right. Okay. So what's the prize? Uh, I don't know. Figure that out later. Dog, you can't you can't offer a prize when you don't even like have one picked out. You should have at least pretended and been like, "Oh, I can't tell you." It'll be bragging rights. Oh, I mean, right. I'm already gonna brag. So original, look, all brothers don't know how to shoot a gun. You racist motherfucker. But the made-for-TV version, look, all brothers don't know how to shoot a gun. You racist melon farmer. Was that a Die Hard with a Vengeance or B Jackie Brown? And Samuel L. Jackson is the one that says it. Uh, I would say Jackie Brown. You are incorrect. It is Die Hard with a Vengeance. I haven't seen Die Hard with a Vengeance. It's okay. Yeah, I fucked that up. Okay. I'm zero for one. All right, you ready? So next one. The original, this is what happens when you fuck a stranger in the ass. All right. Made for TV one, and this is actually the quote that got me doing this. This is what happens when you find a stranger in the Alps. John Goodman says this. Is it A, 10 Cloverfield Lane, or B, The Big Lebowski? The Big Lebowski? You are correct. I haven't seen 10 Cloverfield Lane, but I've seen The Big Lebowski a lot. I'm actually a registered Dudist priest. I don't know if you were tracking. I figured you would get that one. That was an easy one. All right, original. You are a asshole. 
That's all you are. You're a asshole. Is this it? No. TV, you are a casserole. That's all you are. You're a casserole. Is that A, Pineapple Express, or B, The Interview? This is a conversation between James Franco and Seth Rogen. Uh, The Interview? Ooh, wrong. It was Pineapple Express. God damn, I'm so fucking bad at this. Ah, it's okay. So I'm one for three? One for three. Did I do good on these? (laughs) Yeah, no, I did these are generally quotes I should get if I wasn't dumb. <laughs> All right. So this one's a very famous one. Oh, God. The original is, fuck me, fuck you, you motherfucker. Joe Pesci says it. But the TV is, forget me, forget you, you mother forgetter. I know you've heard that one before. I'm pretty sure I know, but I want is to hear my options. A, Goodfellas, or B, Casino? Goodfellas. It is Casino. God, fucking horse cunt. I'm it sorry. is Casino. <laughs> okay. All right. The original. I'm one for five now? Yeah, you're you're one for four. I fucking suck. Okay. You're one for four. Okay. All right, original. You want to play blind man, go walk with the shepherd. But me, my eyes are wide fucking open. Is this eyes wide shut? No. <laughs> TV. You want to play blind man, go walk with the shepherd. But me, my eyes are wide focused open. Is that A- Pulp Fiction or B, Kill Bill? Samuel L. Jackson says this. Kill Bill. Wrong. It's Pulp Fiction. No. It is literally in the car. I thought you were going to get this one where they're talking because, you know, they're talking about divine intervention. Okay. Where, can I get the quote again? You like, want to play I blind that man? I'm wrong. Yeah. You want to play blind man? Go walk with the shepherd. But me, my, wise, my eyes are wide fucking open. Oh, yeah. That's right after he accidentally. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Right before. I thought you were going to get that one. I'm so fucking surprised I didn't. Because I know, I literally know the scene. I just. Like this one, I don't expect you to get. If you get this one, I'll be impressed. Like I threw a couple of those in there. Okay. Uh, These are all that I know. I just want you to know that. Uh, The original, this town's like a great big pussy just waiting to be fucked. But in the TV version, it says, this town's like a great big chicken just waiting to be plucked. Is that A, The Departed? Or B, Scarface. Scarface. You are correct. Dog, I watched The Departed, like, super recently. Oh, so there was a Departed one that I was going to use, but I didn't. All right, last one. So you're two for six. Original, hand me the keys, you fucking cocksucker. But in TV version, hand me the keys, you fairy godmother. Is that A, The Usual Suspects, or B, American History X? Who says it? Who, multiple people. Probably the usual suspects. You are correct. It is the, when they're in the lineup at the beginning of the movie, oh, and yeah. they have to read it, that's what it is. Oh. And it's also one of the funniest scenes ever because of the way that they go about doing it. So, but yeah, you are uh, three for seven. Yeah, I, I failed. You did. That's okay. It happens to the best of us. I don't know. I like playing games, though. Yeah, no, that was fun. We, um, If you guys enjoyed that, you know, let us know that our other stuff where we're trying to get too personal is stupid and that we should play more games. And if uh, if you're playing along at home, tell me what you got. Yeah. I have no way of verifying that you lied to me, but yeah. tell me what you got. If, uh, you know, you did better than me, feel free to bully me on, you know, your favorite platform to bully people. And you can hit me on that Snapchat. Snapchat, Instagram. Yeah, we're on Facebook. Twitter. Are we on Twitter? No. We should get on Twitter. We should. But 
you know, hit us with that. Hit us with your uh, numbers and how well you did and, you know, tell Taylor that he should kick me off the podcast and pull you in because you got a higher score than me. Because you knew famous movie quotes that Bailey did not. Yeah. Really disappointed in you getting Pulp Fiction wrong. I put that in there because I thought you would get it. Okay. You should have said something about an El Royale with cheese. Well, no, because the one that I wanted to put in there was just too easy. What was um, it? My name is Buck, and I like to party. I probably wouldn't have got that. Really? Yeah. Is that? Because uh, that was Kill Bill. Yeah, I wouldn't have got that. Really? It's like the most... That's one of the only things I remember from that movie is my name is Buck, and I like to fuck. I mean, that's fair. And then the pussy wagon is... Uh, I forgot what they changed it to. It's Dust to Dawn. What? Never mind. I'm stupid. Anyway. I was thinking of... Uh, from Dust Hold On? I was thinking of uh, the Titty Twister. Oh, yeah. I wonder what that one was. But I don't know. I just found some some funny ones. And then there was like, you know, yippee ki Mr. Falcon. I thought it was motherfucker. Exactly, but in the TV one, it's Mr. Falcon. Um. So what's that game called? What? That game, like you don't have. Like yeah, a, I told you, what? made for TV. Right. Is is that your name for it though? Yeah, that's my name for it. You're not gonna be like, you're not gonna change it to. Okay, that's fine. Well, no. Would you want me to change it to? Yeah. I liked the made for TV because that's what it was. No, made for TV is fine. I don't know. I just thought you'd put some, you know, spice on it. Oh, okay. Yeah, Taylor's made for TV. I don't oh, know. Oh shit, that's so good. That's a good like, name. Is that is that a good name? Yeah, that works. I thought it was good. Um, do you have anything else for us today? No, that you're the loser. So uh, there'll be a punishment next episode. Cool. I'll have to do like next episode with like closed pins on my nipples or something. <laughs> we will talk about it. That <laughs> got real dark. We'll we'll talk about it. <laughs> Anyway, this has been Two Idiots, One Podcast. I'm Taylor. And I'm Bailey. Thank you very much for listening. Bye. Bye.